Well, good morning. Look, somebody left me at Hall's. Delicious. Well, I hope you did have a good Thanksgiving. I do. I had a good Thanksgiving. I ate very well. You know, we had people over at our house as well, and, and, and it, you, you clean your house, right? You know what I'm talking about? If you hosted people, you clean your house. No, Judy said your wife did. Leah, are you in the room? Okay, she's not. I, I did all of it. I did all of it. When she comes in the room, that story may change. But you know, it's funny. You, you clean your house, and, and you prepare the food, and you, it's a, you work all day or the night before, whatever it is, and you get it all ready for a few hours of great fellowship. And then people leave your house, and it's like a bomb went off all over again, and you think, was it worth it? Yeah, it was worth it. It was. It was, it was worth it. So I do hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I went back. I wanted to go online and, and investigate the, the origin of Thanksgiving. So I thought it would be really clever. And I, I've got a site that I think is a pretty credible site, and I would go in and check it out. And I've actually talked in this, and I know my dad's talked on uh, you know, Thanksgiving and where the Thanksgiving has come from and, and the reason for Thanksgiving. But it, the, this year I thought I would do something a little different in my investigation. I thought I would check more sites, more information, and I really tried to go for credible places. And I found something interesting in this American holiday of ours. There is not one consistent explanation of where Thanksgiving came from. The general agreement is it, it first occurred in 1621, and that's where the agreement really stops. Some people, some of the historians feel as though it, 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 it took off, uh, it happened in spring to say thank you God for getting through a hard first winter. And some historians think it took place in fall, to say thank you for such a great planting season. By the way, Michael, you're back here. Would you do me a favor and just pop those doors open? It's a nice sleep temperature in here. Did you ever have anybody sleep on you when you, you were talking to them? Did that ever happen? Maybe on the phone? It's the worst on the phone because they're just not replying, and then you realize they're sleeping. I've preached before, and not, not here. I'm not going to say where. Maybe they meet on a Saturday. <laughs> and on one Saturday, I had, at the same time, and I've shared this there. Haven't I shared this there? I had five sleepers. And I think, am I that monotone? Am I boring? It's terrible. I'm used to my kids sleeping when I talk. But I, I've actually slept when my dad's preached, so I think, eh. That's a little honesty there. So Thanksgiving, we run around, we say Happy Thanksgiving, and we're not even exactly sure when the, what happened in the first Thanksgiving. I mean, we can be reasonable in assuming that the first American Thanksgiving, that they were being thankful to the Lord for blessings. Amen. And so that's a good thing. And we agree with that. And when we say Happy Thanksgiving, we say, you know, take time to be thankful for what you have, which is a little bit different than the first Thanksgiving, but okay, it's a good Thanksgiving. I got thinking with this idea of Thanksgiving. I got thinking about expressions that we have in church. And when I say church, I don't mean just here. I mean the broader worldwide church. And by the way, I want to say this. Some of you, you, we have some hunters there. I went hunting last weekend. I went with some, some good friends and my brother. And uh, I want to say that uh, 
I'm an excellent hunter. I'm a very good hunter. I'm a terrible finder, but an excellent hunter. And I can prove that every year. I'm very good at that. So anyway, thanks. For, for some of you prayed for my safety. I want to thank you for that. It's always good to keep the gun pointing up. <laughs> so that, that's a mission of mine. Well, anyway, in the idea of Thanksgiving, I got to thinking about the church terms that we use. And I've talked to some of you about this. I know Joel, Gavin, and I, you and I have had some good discussions about this. And Alex, a number of you over the years. Christianese. It's a made up, that's a made up term, I suppose, but it's churches, church terms that we use that Christians or believers are very familiar with. And, and we could call it a kingdom ease or a Christian ease or whatever. And I think some of you and I, we're, we are fluent in this language. I went to a Bible college in the mid 80s, and, uh, and we used to use Christian ease. We, we invented terms, we had our own uh, swear language. Which is true, we did. We had our own swear language. It was a Christian swear language we thought was entirely acceptable. If anybody here with the last name of Schmidt, because we used your name in vain all the time, we thought it was okay to say, I'm sick of that Schmidt. It's true. We had a whole list of appropriate euphemisms that we could say, and we thought it was, you know, it's all right with God if we would say, you know, Schmidt and, you know, frickin'. And all these other words, and some of them are still said today in churches everywhere. They're not said as much, obviously, in the secular world. If they said, I'm sick of the Schmidt, they'll, people will think, what are you talking about? But from the Christian perspective, we thought we were okay. But there's a lot of other terms that have crept into churches, and we're used to them. I want to read some of them. And by the way, I know not everybody has heard of all of these terms, but I think you understand the principle about kind of generated terms that, that happen in a community. I worked in an insurance company, and we had a lot of terms that were used in an insurance company. In fact, there were some terms that had multiple uses. I said, that was odd. What good is that term when it's not even clear in itself? All right, so some simple expressions that we have. You ready? We refer to, in the greater church, a greater community of believers, we refer to the body of Christ. Body of Christ. People who are not believers think that is weird. The body of what? Lay hands on. If you go to a non-believer and you say, hey, let me, let me, let me lay my hands on. Let me lay my... Right? But in church, it's okay if we say that. It's good if we say, let me... We know what that means. In church, we have a term. We call it communion. And we think, of course, that the first communion was when Jesus was at the last supper. There's another term. That, that supper and that he had communion, we think that's the first communion. In the reality, it was a very, very old practice, a Passover practice. And it wasn't communion, but for some reason, when you do it in a church, it's called communion. Another one is in Christian love. This one makes me smile. A lot of times when people in churches say in Christian love, there's an implication there. Right? I love you in Christian love. I don't like you at all, but in Christian love, I love you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That's a, that's a great expression we have. Or what about, this is very similar, and I'm guilty of this, I've said this, and this is more of a modern one, but just saying. Man, that's an ugly shirt. I'm just saying, you know. But that's an ugly shirt. If we say just saying, that's a lot of times we see in the Christian community, that's a really polite way to say something rude. But we, we package it in a way that we feel pretty good about it. How about this one? Here's some other ones. 
And these make no sense to unbelievers. An unspoken prayer request. Uh, Please pray for me. I have an unspoken prayer request. Why don't we just say, please pray for me. I'd rather not share my prayer request. True? How many of you have heard unspoken prayer request? Most of the room. I've heard this. I think this mostly occurs in the South, but I've heard this, and I remember a man saying this to me, a full-grown man saying this, and I thought, whoa, buddy. He said, I just love you to death. It's true. Has anybody else heard that expression, just love you to death? Now, in churches, we can say love you to each other, and we understand the the connections. We understand that we're really talking about an agape love and a a love that's a self-sacrificing love. But love you to death to an unbeliever, that's a crazy one. Or take it to the cross. I'm going to take it to the cross. Now, we know exactly what that means. But to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, they think that's wackadoodle. How about, to me, this is one of the king of the crazy expressions to unbelievers. We love this expression. We see value in this expression. But to an unbeliever, it's washed by the blood. I am washed by the blood. If you say that to an unbeliever, tomorrow go to work. Or go to your neighbor that doesn't know the Lord and just say, Praise God, hallelujah, glory be, I'm washed by the blood. And ask them for a response. Or, talk about some biblical terms that are, are, are accurate, but a little, bit, a little bit confusing to unbelievers. Sanctified, right? Justified, these are accurate terms, they're in the Bible. Born again, Nicodemus was super confused in the scriptures, but it's in the Bible. Or sin, you know, to an unbeliever, sin is is all the fun stuff. They don't know what that means. They think, oh, I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to go do some sinning. We know that's what separates us, ultimately what separates us from God and redemption. Or this one. I, as as a boy, I remember hearing this, and I thought it was weird then. And it, as a grown man, I still think it's kind of odd, but I understand what the Lord's saying when he calls us the bride. The bride. Now, ladies, I don't know what you think about this expression. The Lord uses it to illustrate a wonderful picture. But as a man, if we would go to a non-believer and say, hey, do you want to be part of the bride? Right? I don't even have to amplify on that. It's clear. Of course, we have some Christianese that's misleading. I've actually shared some of these before. Uh, the animals go on the ark, two by two. We know that's actually entirely wrong. They went on clean and unclean. The clean animals went on by seven. And the unclean animals, like pig, went on by two. But we, le- we learned in Sunday school years ago, we learned the animals go on two by two. It's an easy thing to remember, and it's wrong. We learn, uh, we've heard this expression that God doesn't give you more than you can handle, and we know that's wrong. Of course he does. As believers, he gives us a lot more than we can handle. That's why we need him. Or what about this? Invite Jesus into your heart. Jesus doesn't live in our heart. When I was a little boy, my mom said, do you want to invite Jesus into your heart? And I said, yes. And I was, it took me a number of years before I realized that my mom gave me bad doctrine. Jesus isn't in my heart. I'm not really picking on my mom, by the way. The Holy Spirit that's living in me, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That's what the scriptures say. So that Christianese, Jesus in our heart, is actually misleading. What about this? I'm going through a season. That's a great Christian expression, isn't it? And there's a lot of truth to it. I'm going through a season. That means, usually it means, I'm having a hard time. 
time. People don't often say, I'm going through a season of riches. They usually say, I'm going through a season of hard times. And there's truth to it, but sometimes people use it as a cop-out. I'm going through a season. It's been 50 years long. My whole life is the season. Right? Have you ever known anybody, their season is forever? They never seem to have a good season? True? Not you, but don't look at that person on your left. Evangelize. The term evangelize, I think, is a horrible term. I don't like it. I use it on occasion, but I think it's a misleading and a somewhat inaccurate term. Evangelize means, to a believer, I've got something to get ready for. I'm going to put it all together, and I'm going to get ready to go talk about the Lord. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to go evangelize. I'm going to go outside. Here we go. I'm going to go. In Scripture, if we look at the model of Jesus, he was always evangelizing unless he, was, he, had, going, he had gone away for a retreat. He was always on, always sharing, always, always, always. He was sharing with people he didn't even know he was sharing with, like the lady who came and touched the hem of his garment. Always sharing, always on, unless he had to take a retreat. So when we think of evangelize, we're trying to put it in a box, which should be a whole lifestyle. People talk about lifestyle evangelism. That's another Christianese statement. That's a misnomer. We should always be on sharing, our, sharing what, what the Lord is, and that his testimony is always true. Pretty good preaching. That's one. I'm, I, that's a good one. That's Christianese, too. Got to say amen with the preacher. In the South, I heard an expression in the South, and I think it's very good. Back it up. Back it up. That's Southern Christianese. And finally, my last one I want to say uh, that it really stands out to me is prayer warrior. And I think that's also misleading. Prayer warrior. I've heard that time, and I've used that expression. The reality is there's no such expression of prayer warrior in the scriptures. We are all called to be prayers. The word says my house is a house of prayer. Does that, that does not mean that somebody can just say, yeah, I pray for my meals and I call it even. Prayer warrior we use that as a term saying somebody's really good at praying for other people, as an intercession piece. Let's call it intercession. Prayer warrior, we should all be doing it. They're misleading. So what I want to do this morning is I want to isolate two Christianese statements and just speak in them for a few minutes. I want to, I want to look at some accuracy. I think the accuracy overall is very important about Christianese. Now, I want to take it seriously. Go ahead, Brad. Look at, let's look at this verse. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. That's a really heavy statement. You know, what goes in, you're thinking, is really what comes out in what you say and, and how you do. We know it's how you think, it's how you feel, it's how you do. But there's a wonderful verse to, that, that we illustrate around. A man's mind plans his way as he journeys through life, but the Lord directs his steps and establishes them. Those verses are in Proverbs 4.23, Proverbs 16.9 for the recording. We've got to think right before we do right. When we hear Christianese, it loads us up with crazy thinking sometimes, and we don't know it. And I think it's a good thing to challenge these old statements we have and really look for the accuracy. The animals in the ark, two by two, is a great illustration. Or asking Jesus in your heart. You know, when we, when we use that illustration, we say, ask Jesus in your heart, we immediately trivialize or confuse the role of the Holy Spirit. And we trivialize and confuse the role of Jesus, who's interceding at the right hand of the Father. So we've got to know this stuff. We've got to know it right. Because if we're going to do right, we have to think right. Does that sound okay? 
All right, two verses. By the way, it's good to see Ron Ducks. Good to see you sitting up. Some of you, it's not as good. I'm kidding. Totally kidding. It's good to see all of you. Ron had a particularly challenging week. I'll just say that, so it's good to see him. By the way, what a blessing group. I was in worship today. We were worshiping. I was worshiping. and I was just thinking of the, all of you worshiping. We we're all doing it together. And that's the differentiator for this building, for us. It's the Lord. That's what brings us here, amen? It's not, the, it's not the community activism. It's not the fellowship. I hope it's not just for the fellowship. It's the Lord! Okay, it says I'm going to pause and look. No sleepers? Thank you. Bill McCabe? No, oh, you're all right. Nah, I'm kidding. Okay, so we're going to look at two things here. And I really want to, again, isolate these two just specific Christian statements. We won't spend a lot of time on them, but I think it's important for us to be clear. The first one, you ready? Don't pray for patience because you'll get troubles. I have heard that a number of times, and I will tell you I have used that a couple of times. It's a horrible statement. It's a bad statement. Now, you may not have heard that in your time, or you may not have been around anybody who said it, but it is true. I've heard that, and I've, I've heard it. I've seen it in, in, in uh, videos, Christian videos pre, of preachers. And I've heard it in audio. It's terrible. Don't pray for patience because you'll get troubles. Right. Right. So Galatians 5.22, one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. So if that's one of the benefits of the Spirit or what happens with the, with the Spirit, there's got to be some good value to it. Why wouldn't we think about it? Go ahead, Brad. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. First, lesson, first Thessalonians 5.14, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Look at those, that category, the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak. Be patient with them all. Be patient with all those kinds of people. Oof, next one, Brad. Love is patient. This wonderful chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, this love chapter, agape love. This isn't a romantic love, the agape love. The first descriptor of this kind of love is what? It's patience. It's the first descriptor. Patience isn't just an idle thing. We're called to be patient with people who really need help. Have you ever thought about patience in terms of it all by itself? Patience is activated when we need it. Patience isn't in the good times. Patience is in the, is in the stretch times, the challenge times. It's a lot like accountability or submission. It's activated in an adverse time. I was driving. I parked in a gas station parking lot just a couple days ago, and I pulled in the spot. I didn't, do, didn't cut anybody off. I didn't do anything crazy. But there was an older lady, and she was very upset with where I parked. I couldn't hear a word she said. I just heard this. And she took the time to stop her car right next to me and, and, and tell me whatever she was telling me. Again, I have no idea what she was saying. Immediately, patience was activated. It was. I had to decide, did I want to say what I thought? Or did I want to do right? By the way, I did right. I did <laughs> I don't to this. I have no idea what her deal was. But patience comes out when we need it. When we talk, when we think of those those three kinds of people, the Bible says be patient with. That's really a calling. 
And we look at the, the, the scripture of patience. Love is patient. His agape love is patient. Brad, next one. He will render to each one according to his works. The Lord, this is the Lord, Romans 2, 6 through 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Eternal life comes with patience. Why wouldn't we pursue patience? We're supposed to treat each other with patience. We're supposed to love with patience. If we want eternal life, we need this is an interesting thought. How many times, and don't answer this question. Have you seen people, have you known people who follow the Lord and their life gets a little rocky and they bail out on God? They are not patient with what the Lord, what's going on. They are not patient with what they need to do. They're not. It's not there. Next one, Brad. Psalm 37.5. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. I love this verse. This is the, the great equalizer. This is where it calls patience is an equalizer for us. Be, wait patiently before the Lord. Before the Lord, be patient. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way or over the one who carries out evil devices. Don't worry about that stuff that goes on around. Just be patient before the Lord. This is the equalizer verse. Be patient. And again, I'm going to come back to this. Of course we, we want patience. And of course we need to search after patience. We know in Romans, Romans it's, it's got this great statement. I kind of alluded to it before. Trials produce patience. So if you want to produce patience, go through some really difficult times in life. And, and it's true. And so that's why many people have said, don't, don't seek patience because you're going to go through trials. But we also know if we want to develop patience, all we have to do is work on our wisdom. It says it in Proverbs. If we want patience, grow wisdom. We'll know how to handle things. We don't have to focus on the negative of a trial. Focus on the positive of wisdom. I mean, who doesn't want wisdom? People say, yeah, I want wisdom. I don't want patience. Seek wisdom. Patience will come too. There's a lot of good research going on uh, about this, about patience. There was a study in Harvard. I apologize, I don't have the, the title of this study. But it's interesting that Harvard identified if you want to grow patience, grow thankfulness. Just be more thankful. And your patience will creep up with it. We need patience. I could, we could speak, if we got together in a really big coffee shop, we could speak for hours just on patience. But I want to be really clear on that statement. It is not a good thing to say, that Christianese statement, don't seek patience because you'll get trials. Seek patience, and there's ways to seek it without going through trials. But if we do go through trials, praise God, because our patience will grow. The second statement, let me catch up on my notes here. You know, I've been trying really hard to be more, more efficient in my notes. I've looked back at my notes in the past when I first started to preach from the pulpit, and uh, some of them are three-quarters of a page long. What does that mean? I would write the verse down, and that takes this much of the page. So I would look back at my messages and think, I have no idea what I preached on that day. I know what the title is, but I have no idea what I preached on. So I'm doing better, and I'm doing a better job writing neater or printing. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very proud of myself. So our second Christianese statement, and the last one for today to really look at, 
it, I'm going to mush a couple statements together. And I know some of you have heard these, and I know some of you have said these, but we're going to mush them, okay? The first is, I feel like God wants you to. I feel like God wants you to. Give me a million dollars. I feel like God wants you to. Or God is telling me to tell you. Over the years, I think that these statements have done more damage in the kingdom of God than many, many other things. And there's a right way to have these statements, and then there's a negative way. There's a hard way to have these statements. So let me give you an example. When I was at Bible college again, or in a youth group or whatever, even when I got a little older and a, and, and, and the single scene was happening around. Believers, usually men, sometimes women, usually men would walk up and say, God told me to ask you on a date. Oh, yeah. So, I'll be there at 7. Sometimes it would be the lady. God told me. God told me that we're supposed to be married. But they weren't even dating. This didn't happen one time. This isn't a, this is a regular thing. And, and if, it, if it was a man going to a woman and she didn't know how to deal with it, do you know what she usually did? She left the church. Or if she was at Bible college and she was trapped because she paid tuition, she would avoid this guy like the plague. And he would, sometimes the guys would pursue. Remember, God told me, so here I'm trying to be faithful to God. It's not me. I'm being faithful to God to ask you out. This is real stuff. Now, I know that God speaks and gives direction in life, and I understand that. But my goodness, if you want to ask somebody out, just ask her out. Don't blame it on God. What about this? This is, this is true. This really happened. And things like this happen regularly, but I'm using this as an example. Again, I was at college, and there was a... You learn a lot of Christianese in a Bible college. I'll say, I'll say that. So I had, <clears throat> I was in the dorms, and there was a, a man in the dorms who needed, a young man in the dorms who needed to drive to work, needed to get there. And for him, work was a, that was a challenging trip. It was a ways away, and he, it, the paid well, but he had to get there uh, almost every day, and he needed to figure out how to do that. Hard thing to do. But one fella had a car, a very nice car, and he didn't need his car to hardly ever, and so he would leave it parked in the spot, and he could walk to work. So his car just sat there. So this man who needed the car went to the other fellow who had the car and said, God told me that you're supposed to sell your car to me for a dollar. What do you say to that? Uh, no, I, I don't believe in God. What do you, what do you say to that? That's a, it was a real problem. People would come up with these things all the time. Well, God told me you're supposed to. God told me just... Ask the guy, see, see what happens if you ask him to sell him your car for a dollar. Or what about this? I'll, I'll hear this. I know my dad's heard this, and we do not hear this often. I want to say that. But people will come and they'll say, Jim, God told me that our congregation, congregation needs to do something a little differently. Jim, our congregation, God told me we're supposed to have a dance team. Really? God didn't tell me. Well, he told me, Jim. You know, if we, if we listen to everything that God told everybody, you know, I say told everybody about our congregation, I don't, I don't even know. I, it would be bedlam. 
it would be chaos. It really would. There would be pandemonium. Nobody would agree about anything. It would be crazy. So when God says something, and they come and they say, God told me that we're supposed to do this, they really better be right, because I will rake them over the coals to see it. I want to know. If they say God said, then we're going to study it out. And get ready, because when we're done, I may tell you that you don't know God's voice. One time there was a parent who told me this. She had uh, children in, in um, her and her husband had children in the, the youth group, the Crusaders. And she was talking to me and she said, you know, anytime I want to get my kids to do something really important, I just tell them, God told me. Just tell them to do it yourself. God told me to tell you to take out the trash. What is that? But she was serious. She talked about curfew. God told me to tell you that you had to be home at 10. Can't you just tell your kids to be home at 10? Does it have to be that God told you to tell them to be home at 10? Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to parents, and I'm not saying that there aren't times that he tells something very specific for us to do with our children. And I, God is a very good God, and he provides direction and input. But we have to be careful when we say God said. We, in, in this congregation years ago, and I will use this, I will call this out because this was done in this congregation. Uh, and it was done in a very unique way. You be the judge of this as I'm done, okay? Um, there was a single man and there was a single woman. And the man liked the woman. The woman didn't like the man. They got along fine, but there was no romantic. It wasn't a dual romantic interest. Another man, he, he was convinced he heard that they were supposed to get together and ultimately be married. So she tried to be obedient to the Lord for six months. Off and on, they dated this, these two. He had gone to this man, and he had gone to this woman for six months. He finally said, oh, this is crazy. And what do you think she did? Trickled on out. She kept some relationships going, but she trickled on out not to go to any church anymore. So if you hear, if anybody ever would walk to you and say, the Lord told me to tell you, or I feel like God wants me to tell you, I want to give you a checklist. Things to test them by, okay? All right, Brad. First. Test it against Scripture. It's got to fit the Bible. Now, there are times where when people say, you know, uh, God said I should buy a car, we're not going to find that in the Bible, but a lot of this overarching stuff we can find in the Bible. It is straightforward, and I'll tell you, in my experience, many, many, many people don't consider it against the Scripture. Many people, we take it very lightly. And I'll give you two examples. Are you ready? Mormons and Muslims. Each of them have a supplemental book that blatantly contradicts the Bible. Blatantly. No, I'm not speaking against those religions. Yes, I am. I'm speaking against those religions. They speak blatantly against the scriptures. If somebody, back in, in, in the Joseph Smith days, if somebody would have said, wait a minute, the Bible said, don't add or subtract to the scriptures, and you're saying, I need to do everything that's in statements that are contradictory to the Word of God, there would be no Church of Mormon. But they didn't do it. 
They didn't do it. They were so, they're so passionate about this young man, this 14-year-old man that was convinced that he saw a vision of God that nullified much of the Bible that they just followed it. And voila, to this day, people are consumed in, in the Mormon church. We look at Muslims. 600 years after, roughly 600 years, years after Christ died and rose from the dead, Muhammad has his great epiphany. Ah, he sees, this, he sees the light. And he writes his stuff down in the Quran. And the Quran contradicts the word of God. And if they would have just compared the two, Muhammad wouldn't have gone anywhere with this. But now we have the Muslim religion, which is a very horrible, it's a very sad faith, really. It's a violent faith, even for uh, the, the peaceful ones. The second one, seek wise counsel. You know, that story I'd mentioned earlier about this man and this woman, right? The singles who this person in the neutral, he, he had said, you two should date. He also said one other thing. He said, don't tell Jim. This is a secret. The Lord told me, but you can't tell him. This went up for six months. Nobody would tell me. If I would have found out about it, I would have cried it as foul, because that's not how God operates. But nobody told me. They were convinced that the Lord said that they shouldn't tell me. You know, the, there's, there's two types of counselors. There's counselors that are vertical, and there's counselors that are horizontal. There are times that we need both. We need people, we need to go to authority. We need people who have been around, who have a different perspective and a biblical kind of a role to fulfill. And then there's times we need the counselors that are horizontal. We need our peers around us. So we need both counselors at times. If somebody says, the Lord said, that is not a secret. God doesn't move in a secret way. God moves in an open way and he shares. Now there's the secret of God, secret things of God that he hasn't revealed to man. But when he speaks for man, it's open. Anytime God says, I've got a word for you, but don't tell anybody, then it's really not God. Hold him accountable. If somebody says, the Lord said, then blare it out there, the Lord said. Because when we say something in the name of the Lord, we better be right. A third one, look for the tone of the input. We know that prophecy needs to be encouraging, strengthening, edifying. And if it's not, if somebody comes at you like you're all wrong, then that is all wrong. Have you ever heard somebody talk to somebody else and say, well, the Lord told me that you're all messed up. You're thinking it's crazy, and woe to you in your life. I've heard this kind of stuff, and it's wrong. It's not edifying. It's not encouraging. Now, if somebody is in sin, if they're doing a wrong thing in church, then we approach them. But I don't need to say the Lord said you're in sin. We just know it, don't we? When we say the Lord said that you have to, man, edifying, encouraging, very important. And it's right there in 1 Corinthians 14.3 if you want to read that later. Some other validations attested against timely interpretations. Please, a lot of prophecy we can't interpret as it goes. I'll give you a great example. The book of Revelation. There are parts of it we know the Bible says it is good to study this. It is good for man to know this stuff. But it doesn't mean that we understand all of it now. There's an ongoing revelation for us of the book of Revelation. If we, 
a hundred years ago when they looked at the book of Revelation, they read it very differently than we read today as far as the, the prophetic, uh, how, how it can be. And I've heard many people over the years, if you have too, a number of you have, look at the book of Revelation and interpret it in different kinds of ways. Ultimately, we know this. The Lord is coming back. When he comes back, he's really going to throttle the enemy. And he's going to take his kingdom over in, in a very natural way. And he's going to declare, here I am. Now, there's other things that we know that are true in the book of Revelation, and we learn a lot from it. But to, under, to interpret as we go sometimes is very, very risky. Very risky. And if somebody gives you a prophecy and it's a, it's a long-term stretch, don't interpret it. Don't ask somebody to interpret it. Don't ask that person who prophesied over you to interpret it. They only got the prophecy. Otherwise, they would give you the interpretation. God's revelations. If God tells somebody to tell you something, he'll tell you too. God's not going to tell them for you to be Lord over your life. He'll tell you too. And finally, proper timing. There's a missionary I know of, and I've shared this story many times. It's a wonderful story. I wish I remembered the man's name. I need to really, really like to find his name. The Lord spoke to him very specifically, much evidence that he was to be a missionary. So he quit his job put his house in the market, sold all his possessions, sold his cars, furniture, everything. He blew it all out in a period of just a couple of weeks. He got it down. Right away, he got all his cash. And he said, now, Lord, I am ready. And he really seriously, I am ready, Lord. Where would you like me to go? And the Lord said, I didn't say now. He went 10 years later. He had to get an apartment, get a job, get to buy furniture. He was to be a missionary, but later. Sometimes when people say, I've got a word for you, it doesn't mean right now. Wait on it. Park it. Seek the Lord. Validate what they say. Is it true or not true? We see many times in the scripture, David, for example, was anointed king, but not now. He waited. We see many of these types of things in scripture. Not now. We wait. We need to seek the Lord. There was a great prophecy this morning, seek and so We need to seek the Lord. There's no doubt if we seek the Lord, we're going to be all right. We're going to be okay. We need to seek the accuracy of what he has to say. We need to see, seek the applicability of what we read, and we're going to be okay. Amen? I'm excited when the Lord speaks. It is, it's very exciting. I, I'm really convinced the Lord speaks. He speaks regularly. And we learn his voice. I've been studying quite a bit of how the Lord's voice goes. Maybe someday I'll speak on it. I've been really, truly trying to seek the scriptures on how the Lord speaks. And uh, how he speaks over time is the same, yet it's different. The same that he speaks and he uses illustrations, but it's different each time he speaks to us. So it's a very cool thing to be in a place where God will share. But if somebody's going to give you a message... Validate it. Okay? All right, so please stand up if you would. You know, the reason why I wanted to share those two particular statements is because they're some of the most common that I've ever heard. So this is really, to me, more of an equipping message. We need to be aware of our Krishnis. We need to look out for each other, speak with accuracy, listen with accuracy. I'm looking forward to seeing what the Lord does in our lives. All of our lives, as we get older together, Older, 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 older. He's going to use us all the way. When we get to heaven, he'll keep using us in heaven. 
We're not done in heaven. We don't hit the finish line, so to speak, and go to heaven and be done and retire. We keep on ministering all through it. Right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the chance to worship here, Lord, with these people, with these friends, with this spiritual family, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for that we test all against your word. We thank you for speaking to us. God, we're just so blessed to know that our relationship with you isn't just because you're just some distant God, but it's a real relationship that you value dialogue with us. Lord God, I pray for our congregation that we move forward always up the way that you have. God, we desire to please you. We desire to really bless you. That you would be where you are and you would say, they make me happy, Lord. They make me happy. That's what we're looking for here. To be a very real community of believers in a very real relationship with you. Lord God, we thank you for everybody. We pray for a good, safe week for them. And a week, Lord, as we seek you, that we can get more of your revelation and be able to share that with others. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So service isn't done. Two things. If you're looking for fellowship, we've got it in the back. If you're looking for prayer, we've got it right here. Come pray together or fellowship together. Don't run off. Just be together. Enjoy, enjoy company, right? Amen.